In our culture, everything is based on success. But what is success? Who defined it? Who decided that success was the goal instead of fulfillment? What happens if we shake up that definition? What if we make our own definition of success? My name is Tony Grebmeyer, and on this podcast, I'm going to dig deep into the real stories behind success. Join me as I interview other entrepreneurs who've climbed up Success Mountain and have come back down to share their stories so you can succeed. If you're ready to join a community of other entrepreneurs redefining success and finding fulfillment, go to BeFulfilledLife.com and join the community. Now, let's dive into today's show. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. It is the real stories behind success. My name is Tony Grebmeyer, and today I'm excited for our guest and for you to learn. I don't want to, I don't want to ruin it, but I'm going to preface it like this. What happens if there was something you've been doing all your life and you didn't know what its name was, and now you realize we can title it and you can actually own it even more? After 21 years of working with elite athletes, performers, and leaders, this gentleman breaks down how to tap into your alter ego and achieve for seemingly the impossible. His professional programs are delivered to over 200,000 professionals annually in 73 countries. He's been featured on every kind of magazine, medium you can possibly imagine from Sky Business News, the Today Show, Today Australia, the New York Times, CBS Radio, Huffington Post. The list is long. And this gentleman's going to share his story and how he knew that inside was a confident, self-assured, intelligent person who could help others get better results in their own lives. And so when he started using Superman's classic trick, putting on a pair of glasses, he learned to trigger the specific traits he needed to achieve his goals. So please welcome to the show, my good friend, Todd Herman. Tony Grubmark, can I, get, can I do the entire uh episode in like radio voice dj voice that was Please. that was the career that i missed out on was was that hey one. you know when i got into radio at age 11 uh i don't think my voice sounded anything like it does today wait you started at age 11 i did 11 12 and 13 wow there's a story before there. you really needed an fcc license and at 13 i was handed one and my first record that i ever spun i'll take you back a few is uh you spin me round round by oh Deborah good Life. Yeah. So, Todd, welcome to the show. What I want to do is ask the one question every guest gets, and that is your definition of success. Definition of success is me doing two things every single day. One, making sure that I am fulfilling the unique genius that I'm doing every single day, like what I'm really good at, you know, my activities geared towards that. And the second thing is making sure that I am doing stuff that creates blisters. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, Joseph Campbell, right? So Joseph Campbell wrote the hero's journey, you know, codified all the myths and legends throughout history. He's one of my, one of my heroes. And, uh, he's got a famous quote that says, follow your bliss. But that's actually a misquote because, because of the work that I do, I got, was fortunate enough to work with the Joseph Campbell foundation. And he ended up, uh, I ended up getting into the archives and he's got, you know, I live out here in New York city and he did a lot of speeches out here. And that miss, it's a follow your bliss is a misquote. What he actually said was follow your blisters because in your blisters, you'll find your bliss. And I don't know about you, but I think some of the best skills that I've ever developed came out of me having to embrace and do something that I did not want to do at the time. And I think that there is this really kind of pervasive, terrible narrative out there that you should only be doing the things that you like to do or that are your strengths. And me being on the field of play, the great thing I've seen in working with like the elite of the elite, whether it's in sport, entertainment, business, is that the best of the best don't just do the things that they're good at. 
they also do things that they're not good at and it gives them blisters and the blisters end up become calluses and those calluses allow you to lift heavier things than other people. I love that a lot and I get that and I want to say thank you for sharing. Part of my journey, you know, as an entrepreneur, I've had my ups and downs. Yeah. You know, being a high level, high achiever, not in grades, on the, on, the, on the playing field. I was a three-time All-American for water polo, was going to the Olympics, burned mm-hmm. out my knees, you know, played overseas, had this idea that, you know, I could compete at a higher level. And I've used that all of my life and everything I could. When I stepped on a basketball court, just even in the neighborhood, I always thought like I was Michael Jordan. I always wanted mm-hmm. to play like I was Magic Johnson. I always thought if you're going to come after me, I'm going to be Shaq. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I always step in and say, I'm different on the field than when I'm off. And when I'm off, I'm just another person. I'm just, I'm usually myself, but I still can be that cocky, arrogant basketball player. And I've had to really like step back by reading your book and listening. It was able to take me on a journey. And that's really what I kind of want to go on today with you is helping the audience. Everybody who's listening needs to go and get the book, but let's go on a journey and let's talk about you know, it's not like you helped a couple hundred people or 20,000 yeah. people. You've worked with over 200,000 professionals. I don't even know how you've been able to do that in your lifetime. So we're going to get into some of that. Yeah. But helping people to understand where your journey kind of began is really going to be important for the audience to really understand without opening yeah. the first page of the book to learn a little bit about you. So, you know, you said a little bit about New York. How did you find this path for yourself to, to go out and even get into the coaching arena? Totally accidental. Uh, one thing, it was my love of sport that allowed me to find it. I was a extroverted kid that was growing up uh, in the middle of nowhere on a farm and ranch in Southern Alberta, outside of Medicine Hat, Alberta. Big, big farm and ranch. And uh, the, problem is, the reason I say extroverted is because I, I wanted to be everywhere but the farm a lot of times because I wanted to be around people. And um, sport was one of those vehicles to help make that happen. So you know, uh, people from our area, we pretty big sporting culture anyway. So played as many sports as I possibly could was a really good athlete. I was fast as what I was back when, you know, kids didn't run as fast as they do. Now I ran that fast. I was like that four, 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 three forty guy. And, uh, when I got to high school and played football, which then got me some scholarships, played college football, was a nationally ranked badminton player. I was a really good athlete, but my strength was not my physical being. My strength was actually my mental game. And that's what allowed me to then play and get into the, you know, people talk about zone state or flow state and they're actually two different things. Zone state is what I think is the absolute pinnacle because that is where, you know, all conscious thought is sort of erased and you're just so caught in the process. Flow is like more in the groove of things, both a really good experience, but I was able to play in the zone state a lot. And when I got done playing, uh, sport. I got involved with coaching at a high school level and I spent way more time with the young kids talking about like, listen, you got bad preparation skills. You got bad routines. You got, you need to set some better goals for yourself. You don't need to do more wind sprints or cone drills or whatever. You need to like, you know, master this sort of inner game side. And I gave them all my st- tools and strategies that I used. And these kids started getting really good results. And parents started reaching out to me and saying, Hey, like, would you mind mentoring my son or daughter? And I was like, yeah, sure. Not, it wasn't a business. It was, I was like, yeah, sure. I'd love to. And they're like, okay, well, how much you want to charge? And I was like, uh, I don't know, $75 for three sessions. That was my price point, $75 for three sessions. I actually held that price. That was in 97. I held that price until 2000, 
uh, just before 2001. So for three years. So I got a lot of reps in because the value I gave and what I charged was just so disproportionately different. And it wasn't like mental game coaching was a thing. This is the late nineties. And uh, yeah, so I started getting into it that way. And, and now this became sort of this little business, but I didn't think it was a career path. So I kind of went to this mindset of, well, is this even a real thing? How can I validate this? And the only thing I knew how to do was speak because I was a 4-H kid. Uh, if people don't know what 4-H is, 4-H is like agricultural Boy Scouts. And a part of 4-H is you have to do a speech as a part of your, um, you know, sort of uh, a part of the year. And uh, so I went out and did as many speeches as I could around my province of Alberta. And I ended up doing 68 speeches in 90 days. And there's a whole different story around that. But yeah, and this, it just sort of, it launched this entire business that I had of peak performance and mental game coaching. And I became, you know, really good at it without having some sort of big accreditation behind me because I, you know, had done it on the field, really was fascinated by the science of it all. So I, I think I've looked at myself as more of a practical scientist. Some people who just stay in the research world, but they never apply their research. So, you know, researchers, I kind of keep them in a bucket. I'm like, okay, so that's not applied. That there's, there's a big difference between the people who research something and the stuff that's actually happening on the field. And then there's the people who just talk about it. So they're like the influencers that are out there. I love finding practitioners, people who are on, because that's where all the nuance is, the dirt under the fingernails. And what I discovered was the whole alter ego, was that it was an actual thing. Awesome. I, I get two questions that just came up from kind of that, that really like piqued my interest. So I went to Landmark Education yeah. 10 plus years ago in my life, it was completely chaotic and crazy. In there, I heard something that I've lived with until I heard you say it today. And I'm like, well, I've got somebody who's an expert. In my opinion, I'm going to challenge what I yeah. learned and just see if we can have a conversation about it. Cool. We were talking about uh, flow state. Yeah. And that was something big back then. Most athletes and people, peak performers, when they find themselves in flow and they realize it, what happens? Either A, they're not really in flow anymore. Yeah. Or they are still in flow and they're just going to a next level in flow. That's right. Yeah. What, um, what, is, what is your thoughts around that? Because like Michael Jordan, so many of my references around sports, I've, that was my grow up kind of idol. I remember yeah. getting his, his basketball card in a pack of Fleer basketball cards and you open it up, there's Michael Jordan. Now that card Fleer. at the that. back in the day, it was, you know, $700 and I watched it go to 2000. Then I got to 5,000. The counterfeits came out. Right. Yeah. But I didn't look at it from that. I looked at it from what he was able to do on a court. Yeah. So just my experience around uh, zone and flow state is, I mean, that's, that's the whole purpose of everything that our entire company, like if there is a universal destination of anything that we're building out training systems, processes, it can only be leading back to that one point. How can we get people closer to this sort of mystical place called zone? And it is one of those things where if you try to do it, it doesn't happen. You can't try to do it because that's forcing. It's a forcing function. So, and it's, and it's actually quite a difficult thing to train achiever types, athletes being one of them, because we are, and, and, and it's gotten even harder now than it was even in the late 90s, because that we are so an outcome focused culture that people have truly lost the skill of how to be in process, how to be kind of engrossed in the activity and smartphones have been, it's easily the tipping point that happened in the depletion of that skill. 
um, or the reduction of that skill. But man, it is really, really fun to see whether it's a client or just even someone who loves sport, someone find it. And not even a sport, like whether it's someone who writes for their business or writes period, or, you know, I've had those moments and you probably have too, where you're, you just get caught in like an amazing conversation or an amazing interview. And then you're like, holy crap, where'd the time go kind of thing. That's a great example of that. I love that. I think it was a great depiction of it. And the second question is, is I wanted to learn a little bit about your upbringing Mm -hmm. and did that play into, because, you know, I grew up, my mom was busy. She was gone. My parents divorced when I was three weeks old. Um, my mom was a school teacher and she worked three jobs to put food on the table for myself. So I saw people in my neighborhood and I acted as if I wanted to be like them and kind of mirrored some of that kind of growing up. What was your childhood like growing up to have somebody say, Hey, you should go volunteer your time or you should go coach or you should go help and do that. Because for me, I was just a crazy kid. I, I had learning disabilities all through, you know, yeah. elementary, junior high and high school. I didn't talk until I was four. So I had all these things. And finally I found my voice and I just stopped playing and having fun. Here you are at an early age, mid nineties, even learning about helping and coaching. Where did that come from? Parents lean on you or is that just something you learned as you grew up? Yeah, definitely from parents. Uh, that's one thing that the idea of constantly giving back. I mean, I, I was, I'm one of those fortunate people who had two amazing people as parents, um, mother, like my mom and dad. And, you know, my mom, I mean, down here in the United States, they call it what the presidential medal of freedom, um, which is the highest honor that any civilian can get. My mom won that in Canada in our province um, or got that honor just through her charitable work and, you know, really great leader. We're, We're definitely cut from a very similar cloth. We're both extroverted, completely unafraid to talk to anybody kind of thing. And my dad was like this just, prudential rock where people anchored their mooring to or their boat to because everyone watched him in our area to see what he did as a farmer like when he planted and you know he's a grade 10 education but man a a lifelong learner so they so that was one place you know always act you know act in service public service all of my family has held public office in some way Uh, so there's that side of it but specifically, I'll never forget a conversation I had with my older brother, Ryan. So we both played football together in university. He's a phenomenal leader. He has, I had to work at my leadership skills. I think Ryan has them in spades just very naturally. I hate to use that word because everything has to be nurtured. But, you know, that would not, that's a takeaway any, any of his endeavors. But uh, when we got done playing, he said, now it's our job to go and get other young kids excited about the sport that we love too. And so that means we got to go into coaching. So last and, night, my wife and I are watching um, a special about Garth Brooks. And I think this uh-huh. will be a great conversation to get us up Success Mountain today. Yeah. Garth Brooks had an opportunity. He was in, um, I want to say he was in Oklahoma and, and he had a bunch of people put some money together and, and get him to go to Nashville. He arrived in Nashville a couple days later, wasn't even there like eight hours. And he was so devastated he didn't realize the type of industry that he was walking into because he was just this guy who just loved performing and at a heightened state. He just loved performing and basically went back home and he hid out for like 30, 40 days at his parents' house. And he didn't know kind of how to kind of go back into society because he felt like he was going to let all of these people down Mm -hmm. that had given him money. And in the story that I want to kind of, 
paint today, if I imagine with you and I, we just have a blank uh, canvas and you and I both have some paints and paintbrushes yeah. and we're just going to try to create. The thing that I have learned in a short period of time of following you, sitting down at multiple events, just listening to you, it's like this wealth of knowledge. And then listening to your book, I'm not a person who can sit and read for very long, but listening mm-hmm. on Audible and hearing you speak was kind of like, for me, a meditation because it was, I was able to get into a different state listening to your book. Uh-huh. And l- going through flow for me is exactly what you're talking about in conversation. You almost like don't realize you're doing it. It's like an outer body experience. There's, you're, yeah. It's like nobody can kind of touch you. It's just like, you're like, I got this. And you, when you're talking about Beyonce and Sasha and talking about if she fell down and could get back up, it was like she, she triggered this person. And I was trying to remember listening to Garth because it, it totally brought this conversation back up. He left music and said, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go a different path. And he just like retired. And then he came out with this whole album of his alter ego. Yeah. And then that bombed miserably. Yeah. Because everybody knew it. You looked at him, you listened, you knew that was Garth, like no yeah. matter what. Yeah. And I wanna talk today about the alter ego as this tool mm-hmm. that you have been able to help so many people with. And I will tell you, listening to you speak, triggered so many like suppressed just great stories of my childhood I was able to reflect back on in moments where I had to go back and think man I totally did put my glasses on or I did turn my hat sideways or I I did act differently in these types of situations because I was you know using an alter ego and yeah. I just want to say like an amazing piece of work that you and your team have been able to put together and, you know, all the interviews and everything you've been doing. But I now walk because of you into airports and I've only been in about 70 this year. <laughs> um, and I look for your book. I look yeah. <laughs> to see if that book is sitting in Hudson. Is, is that book sitting out? Because that book needs to be picked up by more people and you don't have to be an entrepreneur is maybe no. the Be Fulfilled podcast is about. It's really about people, um, even moms and um, daughters and, and sons. Yeah. And so I just really want to congratulate you on such a great piece of work. Thanks, man. It's been fun. Now, I mean, I was always, this was my 11 herbs and spices of my business. Like this was the secret sauce that I became known for. You talk about, you know, it's funny in the entrepreneur world, we talk about the importance of, you know, niching or finding a very specific target market or whatever. I mean, gang, I'm the guy who's known as building for building alter egos and secret identities for, you know, ambitious people that I don't know how much more specific or niche you can possibly get, but it created an entire career for me. That's for sure. But um, it's been fun getting the book out into other people's hands that aren't athletes or aren't entertainers and where people go, Oh, I can see how it makes sense for insert name of athlete or Sasha for Beyonce for Sasha fierce or David Bowie or Garth Brooks when he comes up with Garth Schmittle or whatever his alter ego and, and all that kind of stuff. But how do I use it as a mom or a dad or a, you know, salesperson? And uh, it's been fun sort of, lifting the veil and showing people, well, A, you've already been doing some of these things. Like you, you were just saying how interesting it's been for you to look back. And I love that part of it. I love the whole toppling of the dominoes backwards where we go, oh, wait, I was doing that. And what I'm doing with people, and I talk about it in the book, it's about now acting with specific intention to activate this. That's, the, that's one of the more powerful parts of this is it's really putting you 
on the hands of the steering wheel so you get to direct and drive how you want to be showing up unencumbered by the concerns, worries, fears, judgments of your own ego or the worries of what other people are thinking about you. No, I love it. And an exercise that it, it triggered for me that I, I used to do and I threw to the side probably about two years ago is because I got challenged in it a little bit. And they said, ah, oh, you know, that's good. But I would look at it like this is my Z through A exercise. Mm-hmm. Before you go to bed tonight, you literally grab a piece of paper and you just start writing down everything backwards. So everything from right now, like you're in bed writing what you did five minutes ago, I was brushing my teeth. What'd you do? Like 30 minutes ago, I was playing with my kids, but write all the way backwards to get to the beginning of your day when you woke up. So you can really begin to see how every little thing you did unpacked it or impacted your day. Yeah, yeah. That's a great exercise. I've never heard of that before. Just helping the brain to kind of re, I lost my father to Alzheimer's and I've now lost two or three other parents, you know, friends uh, to Alzheimer's. And so I'm really big into it and just keeping my cognitive flow going. Mm -hmm. I'm triggering. And your book was able to like unlock, like I had a great childhood. I really did. I had some pitfalls in it, but overall I've had an incredible childhood. And and every time, you know, before we even got started today, we're talking about Bo Jackson and I, I think, you know, as we go up success mountain and, and I want to tell you like Deion Sanders was the only other person that reminded me of not the mental game necessarily is the same, but Hey, they were able to play football mm-hmm. and they were able to play baseball. Yeah. There are only two, two times in my life I've ever seen an athlete be able to do both of those at such a high level. Yeah. See the thing about, yeah. And with Dion, the thing that I think makes him ultra special as an athlete is he had a ton of fun as an athlete. And there's a great documentary out right now on HBO called Greatness, where Jerry Rice is in. Have you seen it yet? Mm-mm. Oh, watch it. So it's Jerry Rice. Typically, like the main characters in it are basically Pele, Wayne Gretzky, and Jerry Rice. And they, they, I love it. And I send people to it because they echo what I've been telling people for a long time around what it, what it takes to kind of get there, which runs completely counter to the typical crap that you find in a lot of self-help personal world stuff. And the reason that there's so much crap there is because there are the people that write those books are not practitioners. They haven't been working with the people. So lesson number one in my life is I, I will never invest money in working with anyone to help make change happen if they do not have practitionership as a part of their model, because that means that they have zero view into the world of nuance and detail. Because when you sit at the very top of, say, you're just a researcher, like, say, Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit, nice idea, lacks a ton of muscle that you need in order to make habits happen. But in that interview series, they interviewed Deion Sanders as well. And Dion just said, you know, because Jerry Rice is ranked as one of the greatest football players to ever live. And Dion's like, I don't think he is. Because A, he was, never, he was not liked in the locker room. Um, people didn't like playing with him, really. And so Dion's like, he missed the whole point. He missed the point. He, like, yeah, he was the guy who was, I got work, 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 work. Dion was like chains, fun, music, yeah. singing, having a good time, right? Like there's a simple saying that says, if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. Like you got to mm-hmm. find fun in all things that you do. Yeah, yeah. And so, and I'm not saying what Jerry, like I, I just find it an interesting conversation yeah. to have because that's, that's actually a big part of the operating principle of the work that we do is, I'm here to help ambitious people do tough things while enjoying the process. 
that is true peak performance in my view, because I've just worked with way too many athletes who are just so burnt out. They, they're not loving what they're doing. And then they get to the end and they're like, man, did I ever screw it up? Like I had the wrong mental game approach or I have, you know, I work with big time entrepreneurs and they, uh, they're missing the boat. Like I was reached out to by, um, and I can say this, but I was reached out to by Elon Musk's team to work with Elon Musk. And, uh, you know, he'd be someone that I would love to work with. But I told the team, I'm like, he doesn't need me. Uh, he actually needs therapy. Like he's got some, he's got some mental health things to work on, not the stuff that I'm skilled at doing. Sure. And, uh, yeah. Cause I think that, uh, he is, I think he's one of the greatest entrepreneurs to ever live, but I think he's missing a little bit of the point. I will tell you that the second thought came to mind when I was reading your book. And I don't know if this is something that you hear a lot, but I, I just want to say, I got this, which was, I said about three or four times during the process, I would love to just have like 30 days to go back and play, get on the court, not have to go to the office, lace up my sneaks, run up and down the court, laugh and have fun, not to have the worry of all of life's pressure and stress to eliminate all of that. And then I said, you know what? Why do I have to wait? Why don't I figure out what I would need to alleviate or work on now to buy myself some time in the gym a couple of days a week so I could go start living that out. Do you, do you find that you get that a lot when you're talking to people? Like they, they set a, a date, like, you know, if this, I'll do it yeah. then. Yeah, I, I call it the, one of the things that I teach people is uh, the horizon line of you. So I have a program, Nine a Day Year, which was born out of the work that I do with um, athletes. 90 Days was this great, sort of timeline or period that could be used to level up people's skills really fast. So I built out this in the, in the, in the beginning, in the late nineties and early two thousands, it was called 90 day sprint um, before the word sprint became synonymous with working, right? Like this is because I was working in sport. That was just the word is what's our 90 day sprint that we're going to have to develop your skills. And then it, when I started working more in the corporate and the business world, um, it was actually a executive from Chevron that changed it to 90 day year for me. Uh, Cause he's like, we all work on calendars here. Sprint wasn't a word that was popular. So that, that's how the 90 day year name actually came out in 2003 or four. But anyway, so this whole 90 day year idea is that there's a 90 days from now, there's a version of you that's standing on the horizon. Okay. And they're waiting to greet you in one of two ways, high five, fist bump, chest bump, hug, whatever it would be. Right. And, and, or, you know, hands kind of arms folded going, dude, why didn't you do the daily disciplines? 45 days ago, 65 days ago. Like there's this version of you that wants to greet you. And, and I call it feeding your future you. Like the, the work I'm doing today is to help feed the future me that's going to greet me in a certain way. And a lot of times the stuff that we do for many people in the moment or in the day satiates the appetite of distraction, of avoidance, of you know, satisfying your own personal wants and desires right now, but it doesn't satiate the appetite of the future version of you that congratulates you on the disciplines that you did that day, the discipline of eating the kale salad or the spinach salad, or, you know, not going for the, you know, eighth day in a row of eating a hamburger or whatever, whatever it is. And that to me allows me to then, when you focus on those things, you fall in love with the process then, because it's, you're owning those disciplines so well. But um, on your point, 
absolutely. Like you don't need to go back. I mean, of course we can play that game. I actually don't like that game where people say, I have no regrets in life. Cause I would, you know, the person I'm happy with the person I'm like, no, there are regrets I have in life. No, a hundred percent. I think it's such a, you know, it's a wonderful idea. Again, it comes out of the self-help world, like completely impractical. No, like own the fact that it's okay to have regrets. And I'm not going to beat myself up over it, but yeah, there are some times where I wish I had taken a different path because I know that I would have become more valuable if I had taken that path, right? You just caused two new triggers to go off. I can't wait for the break. I'm going to recap a little bit of the conversation that I've been self-talk that I've been having listening to you. I feel like I'm in the zone with you today <laughs> about something really, really important. Todd is this, this person who started out like most entrepreneurs and found passion along the journey and didn't have it all figured out and decided to continue on that. Mm-hmm. And for three, four years charged, you know, $75 for three sessions. And it just one thing led to another where he didn't saw the opportunity to maybe take it up a notch. And I want to know when I come back talking to Todd today about the different alter egos he even found himself in, in that process. I've got one and I'm staring at it and it's not Superman and it's not Todd. It's this person with this dark helmet. And we're going to come back in just a minute for over 42 years. I have watched this dark helmet and I've always been mystified by what that symbolizes in my life. And I can't wait to talk more today with the author, Todd Herman of the alter ego. We'll be right back today on the be fulfilled podcast show. We're going to take a quick break. And since Tony's taking one, Let's take one together. Let's take a deep breath. Wherever you are, feel those ribs expand, that chest lifts towards your chin. Let's do it now. That feels good, right? That's one of over 23,000 breaths you're going to take today. You don't even think about it. You're focused on that one. That's life. That's rejuvenation. That's the moment right here. And thanks for doing that with me. We all matter. Those breaths matter. Let's remember them. And let's get back to the show. We are back on the Be Fulfilled podcast show. Mm, strong with the force you are. Deep inside you. You don't know the destiny I have for you. I'm staring at freaking Darth Vader this entire time. And all I can think of is what alter ego did Yoda have? Because all I ever saw for Yoda was this, this person who had 800 years. And I love the line. He's like, 800 years of suffering I have. Hmm. I'm like, you want to talk about suffering? Let's talk about Darth Vader. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the pinnacle of villains in so many ways of a character that was so mangled that everybody thought no one could save him. Mm Mm-hmm. And here is, you know, Mark Hamill's character, Luke Skywalker in The Return of the Jedi. I'm sorry if you haven't seen it. It's, it's only been out for like, you know, since 1983. <laughs> a couple um, of years. It's like, you were right. Tell your sister you were right. Yeah. I want to look upon you with my own eyes. Let's talk a little bit about that character and the alter ego that that character and villain has literally helped kids for the last 42 years forge in their mind of this alter ego. Yeah, I think it's um I think it's the the kind of blessing and curse type of thing where when people think about alter egos, they think of it as like a fake mask that you're wearing and that's not the case at all. Because like I outline in the book, 
you're doing it with the intention of you bringing this best self that you know is inside, but somehow it's buried under, you know, your own narratives, your own concerns, your own sort of negative associations to what you see about yourself or what you think you can and can't do. That's why like, you know, you did it when you were a kid when you're like, you know what, I'm going to go on the court as Shaq or Jordan or Larry Bird or the kids nowadays, it's LeBron or insert the name of any other superstar athlete. That's a natural thing that we do. Uh, and I find that fascinating. Like that's, that's the curiosity side of me. I'm like, okay, wait, people do this naturally. Everybody does it. Society says that that's a, that's a bad thing to do. Okay. Well, that doesn't make any sense because that's a judgment thing, but on the field of play, we naturally do it as kids. It's, Hey, what could I do if I jumped off the couch with this cape on and I'm Superman or Black Panther now or Wonder Woman or Thor or the Incredible Hulk? What it does, that question allows us to disassociate from our own story and step into a new version and allow capabilities that we've already got to flow out of it. So that the Darth Vader one is an interesting one because, you know, he's got a literal mask on and then at the end he takes off the mask to, you know, transform into that, you know, Zenith rising. He finally finds, you know, what he's really about. But, you know, Yoda said it great. That's why I think it's, it's so funny that you say the whole suffering thing, you know, 800 years of suffering I have. You know, that's kind of the story of most people in life that are pursuing tough stuff. Oftentimes, though, the suffering, I think, comes at the hand of our own bow and arrow. We're the ones who shoot down our own dreams mm-hmm. long before the, ever, someone else has shot down my dreams. We love to say the judgments of others, but really, it's us just passing the buck off of ourselves and onto someone and something else. Really, do you think it's we do us. That? Do you think we do that like kind of like a business? Like we have a, we want to go do this but we haven't really made it a business. It's more of a hobby. And then mm-hmm. when it doesn't work, we can go, well, it was just a hobby. It was just this yeah. thing, right? Yeah, it's there to protect our, it's, it's so that we can protect our self-image. Um, really, that's what it is. But, it's, but we know fundamentally that it's a lie, that we, did, that we didn't actually give it our all. And like, that's actually my mentor, Harvey Dorfman, who's known as the, you know, the Yoda of baseball. It's so funny. He's, that's what he's known for. And he's the giant of that industry. I think he, he, I, I categorize him as the greatest mental game coach to ever live. He wrote the book, Coaching the Mental Game. And um, what he said in the first 33 days that I spent with him down um, at his place in North Carolina in the off season back in 2001 was our job is to hold up the mirror and then show people exactly how good they are or um, exactly how bad they are at the thing that they're doing. Because most people will overestimate how good they are or they'll underestimate how good they are. Women will have a tendency to underestimate how good they are because of false modesty. And it's just, it's uh, very much a gender thing. Men have a healthy ego. So we will overestimate how good we are. But at the end of the day, like the, the slings and the arrows come from, come from our own bow. And, uh, but Darth Vader, can I go into like, why? The reason, and by the way, gang, you, we're look, on, to make the whole rest of the show about Todd explaining Darth Vader to me. I'm like, <laughs> let me get some pop. Hey, can I get some popcorn? That's Thanks. right. Let's get it going behind me in my, on my, in my office here. I've got a Darth Vader mask that sits behind me. Now he's there for a couple of reasons. One in the book, uh, because Joseph Campbell is a real hero of mine. One of the sort of meta concepts that I laid into the book was, I kind of honored Joseph by having more of a hero's journey type model in, in the book. And, uh, and then it became a really useful way that I also coach people to show people that on, in the inside, in our internal world, there is a hero that is there. The purpose of the alter ego is to actually extract the hero. 
okay? The alter ego isn't the hero. The alter ego is there to extract the hero inside that might be nested underneath whatever our negative story is about what we are. And just like anything else that's true in nature, there's always a flip to that. So inside, there's also a villain. There's an enemy and there's an enemy within. Um, the enemy within can be just an idea. Uh, it could be resistance. It could be uh, a trauma that happened to you that caused you to disbelieve something about yourself. That was, the, that was my case. Going back to what you were asking before about like how I got into the mental game stuff, I got into it truly out of survival. You know, I was someone who was sexually abused and assaulted at a church camp for over the course of a, um, several days by two men pretty brutally. And, you know, caused me going to, at the age of 12, uh, basically a cycle of attempted suicides um, throughout my teens and in my 20s and stuff. And it was, um, I, I created worlds in my head to help me escape from just that reality. Now, just like anything, I'm on the other side of this now. Like I, I've dealt with that trauma and I've got distance from it and I've got different perspectives, which is beautiful and great. And then now that I'm on the other side, I'm like, oh, wait, that, that experience also gave me the great cape. That's the thing that gave me my superpower that I've got. And uh, as just a kind of, I have this trademarked and registered, but I talk about capabilities a lot, but my spelling of capabilities is very different. It's cape, C-A-P-E dash abilities, your cape abilities. I'm interested in finding where people have earned their capes, where they got their capes from, because that is really where people can find maybe a calling in life or a pursuit that gives them a lot of satisfaction. And for me, it gives me a lot of satisfaction doing the work that I do, but that enemy within can come from many things. So Darth Vader sits up there behind me as a reminder of the shadow that's, that's out there. And uh, I talk about in the book, the importance of how our mind needs form and substance. That's why we always give the alter ego a name. When we give the alter ego a name, it creates form and substance to it. Any horror movie that, is scary and the- share that the story about Bo Jackson because that I've told through about three or four people I'm like you got to read the whole book but uh-huh. I got to tell you hook line and sinker from the get go I did not know Bo Jackson had that as a villain that his yeah. mind went to as the inner game and that's who he was yeah so I'll, I'll get to that one so so we have this you know we've we've got this enemy enemy within and it's so useful to sort of battle it but in horror stories what's the most scary part of a horror movie is when we don't know what the thing looks like. Like we don't know that what the demon looks like or the, whatever the thing that's sitting in the shadows is. Well, you know, we all have this gremlin in our head that, you know, whether it's talking down to us or being unsupportive, whatever, give it a name, give it substance. Like, what does it look? Does it look like Scooby-Doo? Cause now you can deal with it. You can touch it, hold it, you know, deal with it. And so that's one of the reasons that he's there is remember that the shadow is always there, always lurking, always waiting to pounce. Um, I have this line that I tell people that, Everyone talks about morning routines and ritual or morning routines. You know, I get up, I drink a glass of water, I meditate, and I send some gratitude out to the world or whatever. Not me. You know, I don't do that. Yeah, I have drink, a drink of water. Of course I do because I'm freaking thirsty. It's not a part of my routine in the morning. What I do, the moment I wake up and I'm consciously aware that I'm awake, I immediately say um, to myself, because I want to throw a ground punch, that incredible Hulk ground punch between the six inches of my ears, come and get me. Come and get me. Incredible. Yeah. Come and get me because fear can't hit a moving target. Yep. Fear sits in stagnant water. Fear sits on the couch where no movement is happening. So Darth Vader's sitting there just to remind me that fear will always be there, but I own it. I've got his head on the shelf. Okay. <laughs> Second thing is I wear that mask. That is a 100% working Darth Vader mask. One of the great things I've had to slay in life is my dyslexia. 
you talked about learning disabilities. I don't believe in the word. I call them learning abilities or I'm learning enabled. Dyslexia has given me the power of thinking in pictures um, in my head. I think differently. It's allowed me to be good at what I do too. But uh, writing my book was a challenge. So I bought that Darth Vader. I, I already had it, but I, but I put on that Darth Vader mask because the last person in the universe that's going to be concerned about whether there's a blinking cursor on my laptop is Darth Vader. <laughs> so Darth Vader, I also wear the shadow as well. And I embody his characteristics and I slay it when I, when I wear it. Now, do I wear that? And I'm, and I'm being, the, the thing about my work is I'm talking about mental game stuff of people who are actually out there, not the pie in the sky, wonderful popsicle and lollipop world of affirmations, which are clinically proven to cause depression or depressive states, if not used properly, which is an important distinction that some people are going to be like, wait, what? Affirmations cause depression? Yes. Look at the University of Waterloo study. Look at the University of California's US UCSB study. Look at the University of Stanford study. Multiple other studies on affirmations, they cause people to go into a depressive state. If you don't believe in the thing that you're saying, it will cause you to be more depressed. That's really important. Flies in the face of a lot of the people that are in personal development. So I'm talking about stuff that people are actually doing. So behind the scenes, I put on that mask, I wear it, and it gets me into this amazing flow and groove. And then I'll take off because I'll start to get hot underneath it and I'll take it off. But I'm already, I've already slayed the most important, hardest part, which is the starting. Yeah, I mean, I, I want you to tell the, the Bo Jackson story. But okay. these are some notes that I took, just little notes that I took for myself, listening to you, the insecure kid, the importance of the inner game, share glasses example, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the reason the glasses are sitting on the cover of this, yeah. this book. But the piece that I got most, and I think it's super important for me to hit this, is the core self talking to you. And you just talked a little bit about that, you know, special ed, dyslexia, all these types of things. Um, We get labels from society. We then label ourselves based off of what society is telling us we are. And I love that you just, I call it an idol. You just smashed it. And you made it something better. And I think that's what we need to be doing more of and helping our kids. Like if, if I want to go dress up and be the Incredible Hulk and go and smash the snow in the backyard, is mom yeah. and dad going to yell at me for going in the backyard and smashing snow and having fun and playing? Because that's what I think goes back to the statement about Deion Sanders, yeah. about having fun and doing things that excite you. So yes, I really resonate with the fact that I do have shit in my past. I do have regrets and things that, you know, I got hurt and maybe I could have played a little harder and I could have done the things and go play to the Olympics for water polo at a high level as elite athlete. But I allow stuff to go, wait, but I used that and rolled into radio. So do I have regrets? I do that I talked a lot about it, but it's also brought me to this very moment where I'm at with you right now. Yeah. If I would have yeah. gone and played water polo, I promise you, you and I probably would have had a chance to meet our paths because of elite <laughs> athletes. But it took me what it took to get to this point with you and for you and I to connect three or four different times to finally say, hey, you want to come on the show? Sure. Yeah. So I also look at things as like, they happen for a reason. And that's the blessing for me talking to you today is just seeing who you are and how you show up, sharing the, the stories of Childhood. I have yeah. my childhood stories. I think every person has some story that yeah. they have suppressed. And I yeah. love what you've been able to do today is just articulate and paint this really amazing photo that people can really hold in their hands is like your past doesn't equal your future. Mm-hmm. Your, your mess 
is also your message. If you want to go and do some deep work, you can turn that into uh, you, a journey. It became mm-hmm. a life work by just saying, sure, let's go have fun and play. And that has turned into a career, a book. I didn't know from dyslexia that you had it. That's what my dad struggled with. So I now have a higher appreciation for you because it, it takes a lot to make some things happen. It's yeah. Some things come out sideways or backwards, but I'm like, I have a heightened level and appreciation yeah. for you even more. So I just want to tell you, these are the takeaways talking to you today, listening to your audio book, meeting you several times, seeing how you interact on other shows. I just want to say thanks because showing up today, one person is what my goal is every single day. If I can impact the life of one person a day, that one person could be the next Martin Luther King, the next Mother Teresa, the next Gandhi. It, it has the ability in our livelihood to impact one person's life. They can have the ripple effect on the world. Yeah. All I want to do today is bring change to people and help them. So thank you for being a, a person, a messenger to help me do that. See, but what's like you and I have also had some conversations offline as well, specifically the conversation that we had back in February at that dinner in San Diego around mental health, right? And so here's what I've experienced is that people who've actually been through some real suffering in life are just, man, the conversations that you have with these people are just so much deeper and more meaningful. Now, I don't, uh, I used to think that success was on the other side of people that were wounded. And some of that was my own projection, right? Like, okay, you know, Only people who've been through tough stuff can actually go and do tough stuff. And thankfully, there was a a young guy that I met last year who we shared this like really great kind of conversation and moment. And uh, he's extremely successful, has this really successful um, product e-commerce company. And he was like, listen, like um, I've had this like amazingly blessed life, amazing parents. and And now me as a parent, because the other side of this was like, well, shit, if only people who've been through tough stuff are successful. And I want my children to be successful, but I don't want them to have the same experiences that I or especially specifically that one experience that I had in order to be successful. So I say all this because, you know, you, you've been through some, we just have really good conversations. Like, and that's the thing, I think that makes you really good at what you do is you've got an extraordinarily high level of compassion. And that's because you've been through some, some tough things. To your question before though, around the Bo Jackson thing to get that for other people. I was leaving the loop open. I wasn't. Oh man, I was just going to say, we've had that loop open for a long time. Um, so I opened up the book with the story of, I'm, I was speaking at an event down in Georgia and uh, this is quite a few, quite a few years ago, uh, mid two thousands. And I was in the green room, which means cafeteria at a high school, <laughs> kind of pacing back and forth, getting ready to go on, uh, on stage and in through, I was in there by myself and, in through the door comes, you know, this physical specimen of a human being. And I'm like, whoa, that's Bo Jackson. He won me a lot of games on Tecmo Bowl as a kid because he was the cheat code. Anyone who played Tecmo Bowl knows you hand the ball to Bo Jackson. He was impossible to tackle. And so he comes over and he's like, hey, I'm Bo Jackson. I'm like, yeah, I know who you are. I'd be a terrible practitioner in the world of sport if I didn't know who you were. Um, you know, the only two sport athlete that was uh, an all-star in both sports. And so we, we were just chatting about, you know, the event and said, oh, are you going to go speak now? Or are you speaking? And I said, yeah, I'm going up next uh, unless you just bump me. And uh, he laughed. He's like, no, you're fine. He's like, well, what are you going to talk about? And I said, I'm going to talk to kids about, you know, just the mental game, but specifically I'm going to talk to them about um, how they should use a performance identity, an alter ego to help them really get out of their own way, find that flow and zone and unpack all their capabilities out on that field for themselves. And he stopped and he just kind of, 
he relaxed. You could just see his sort of shoulders drop and he was kind of cocked his head to the side. And he said, Bo Jackson never played a down of football his entire life. And it was the way that he referred to himself in the third person. It's actually a real common thing amongst elite performers. They think of themselves in the third person after a performance. Beyonce did it with Sasha Fierce all the time. If you've ever seen any of her. Um, so he said that, and I said, interesting, tell me more. And he said, yeah, you know, like, you know, anyone um, who kind of knows my backstory knows that I was an angry kid growing up, uh, battled with just behavioral issues. And it uh, sounds like it would work out well for you as a running back. Uh, anger would work for you, but it caused me to like be fairly uncoachable. And I took a lot of bad penalties and, and stuff. Wasn't a good team player. And one night I was watching this movie and on the screen came this cold, calculating, methodical uh, character, unemotional. And I thought to myself, wait a second why don't I take that out onto the football field instead of the angry kid? And it was Jason from Friday the 13th. Right. And I love telling it cause I do it on stage and people were like, wait, what he's angry and he chooses a serial killer. And I'm like, no, that's the beautiful thing about human beings. Our real superpower is the use of our creative imagination. His takeaway wasn't the serial killing stuff. His takeaway was, wait a second, here's a character who is methodical, which is what I need to be doing. Cause I need to go grab ball, run through line, hit people, get back up, go do again kind of thing, but do it without the emotion because that was his struggle. So that's what he did. And uh, Jason lived on the field. When he came out of the locker room and down the tunnel and went onto the field, he, he did a very specific heel to toe motion. And when his toe uh, or the pad of his foot hit the field, that's when a blue spark would happen and Bo Jack or Jason would enter his body. And that's who he embodied when he was out there was this unemotional character that would his own, he's like, my only mission was to destroy everything in my path with no emotion. And when you think of that moment, when he laid out Brian Bosworth on the goal line, right? That was, that's what we were talking about. He's like, that was Jason. Jason ran him over. Bo Jackson didn't. Um, It brings up so many just um, great memories and sad memories for me too. I was a (laughs) Bo Jackson uh, fan and I still am. I I love, I love what he's been able to do with his life. Bo, Bo knows a lot. I wanted to circle back because my brain couldn't close the loop. That's part of my problem that I love. Garth Brooks created a fictional rock persona. Yeah. Uh, his alter ego was Chris Gaines. And to yeah. explore musical styles far removed from his success as a country singer, he wanted to try something else. And in the documentary last night, it didn't get into Chris Gaines. It got into, you know, Garth was the, the kind of person you could bring into the studio. And most, most you know, like studio musicians and singers – they could sing country. He could come in and sing classic rock, Southern rock. He could sing yeah. reggae. He could do anything. And, and he was able to figure out how to do that through basically his alter ego. And he was able yeah. to tap into various things. So I did a close that loop for myself and we could go on for hours. I just want to say always an honor, always from sitting in that table in uh, San Diego, that having conversations to watching you from afar or meeting uh, your family and just seeing how you interact. I mean, it's awesome. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, have you here today. What I want to do yep. is direct people to find the best resources for you. So in our, our show notes, you can go to TonyGrebmeyer.com. You can get all the information on the Be Fulfilled show. Where's the best resource or what's the best resource for people to connect with you or learn more about you? Well, ToddHerman.me is kind of my home base on the internet. That's where, you know, people can find out all the stuff that I, you know, have got, like how I can help people and, uh, and then links to like social media because I'm active across social media as well. Uh, AlterEgoEffect.com 
is where people can get the links to go and find any of the, you know, the book itself, like across a lot of different places. But we also have lots of resources that I talk about in the book that are housed there as well. Examples of different categories of alter egos that people could use the, the ideas of like I talk about in chapter 11 on the book on activating, like what are the superpowers that you would have in this, you know, alter ego. And again, like I, I just want to kind of highlight for people we've talked about in people in kind of performance-based disciplines, like athletes and entertainers and stuff. But the number one thing I'm tagged in the most uh, since the book has been out is people just telling me how much it's impacted them as them showing up as their super mom or super dad. Cause I talk very openly about how when I go home, I'm activating my inner Mr. Rogers and my own dad. And, uh, and I give people the process on, on how you do that from a physical standpoint, how you use totems and artifacts and the importance of physical objects, why that, why that's important psychologically. Cause again, I'm a practical scientist. There are, I am simply stacking up a series of dominoes that already are pre-existing in how we operate as human beings. And I'm just toppling them using this one process and system called the alter ego, which is something that we all already have. Pellegrino for me is my, one of my largest activators. Really? If I have this bottle and I hear the shh and I taste it, I'm actually in my mind transported back to sitting in Italy with my wife, mm-hmm. observing the Amalfi Coast. If when I, I drive a Maserati, not because I love a Maserati, you don't want a $550 oil change. I like it the fact because I the close sound. my eyes and I'm driving on the Amalfi Coast mm. with my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You walk into my room right now, there's Italian music because it's in my mind. I, that's where I'm headed and what I'm working on and everything that I do. My wife and I are empty nesters. And so it's yeah. kind of like we love it. And it's my most listened to music on Spotify, right? And, I, and it helps me to find what I love, which is inner peace. Mm. I use second. it when I'm crazy and I might, something's going wrong in life or something's out of whack. I just turn on Italian music and my, my, everybody knows it. I used to wear a watch that would tell me the, the pulsing of my kind of my effect of my body, what level I was at. And I would, it instantly makes me calm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's like, you're talking about being a dad, Mr. Rogers, or being like yeah. a dad and using it and finding that for me, it's give me a Pellegrino. Let me hear the sound. A level drops. Let me sip it. Let me take a minute to take a deep breath. I'm sitting with my wife. We're eating pasta. Let me just relax a little bit more. When I put my hands on the steering wheel and go right over the top of them, yeah. I have the wind blowing. I'm driving my scooter along the Amalfi coast. That yeah. is what I've been able to do with those types of elements. So this just, my wife and I were just talking about, you know, this sort of recent um, phenomenon that's happening in Italy where you can go and buy, there's towns and villages selling houses for a dollar. And she's like, Todd, why don't, why don't you get some of your like, your friends. And like, we, we go and we buy like an entire village. I don't know, Tony, we might have to have a side conversation about this because uh, she's, uh, she's from New York here and she's the, the classic, you know, East uh, Sicilian. Uh, Eastern I Sicilian. love it. it. You know what? Yeah. I, I can send you a message right when we hang up. I got it yesterday. Somebody texted me because they know what I want, right? Yeah. It's interesting too. When you tell people what you're up to, it's amazing what will come in a conversation like, oh, I was just talking to Todd. Todd's yeah. in Italy and wow, like Tony and I were just talking about it. And it's funny, like people are afraid to kind of go out in there and tell people what they're up to. I do it to help 
also hold me accountable because mm-hmm. people check in with me and go, hey, you found that village that you're moving to? Yesterday, I got one about Sicily. There's a place you can get for a dollar. They give you three years. You have to get a yeah. permit for $2,750. You have to have a plan and then, cons- and, and then build the, the rebuilding of it in four years and you can have it. Yeah. yeah. Like minimum dollars. So, yeah. All right. Enough. We could go on for hours. Uh, what I want to do is bring you into the fulfillment round. All I need from you is I am ready. I am ready. And now it's time for the fulfillment round. No phoning friend, no using the Google machine. No digging into storage for the Encyclopedia Britannica. And I promise Tony won't make you cry. And if you don't know the answer, just make it up. The fulfillment round brought to you by shipoffers.com for all your product and fulfillment needs. Now, Tony, you ready to ask some questions? We talked a lot today, superpowers. We talked about uh, Darth Vader, talked about Dion, Bo Jackson. But what I really want to get down to is Marvel or DC. Ooh. <laughs> so I had a phenomenal experience last year in November. I sent out a copy of my book to Stan Lee uh, and you know, did the whole sent it via FedEx. I'm going to get an email notification once it's signed for. I then sent a fault once I got the notification that it was accepted. I followed up with an email because I, I did get his email address through just my contacts. And he responded back within about eight minutes saying, It's been sitting on my desk. I'm going to get back to you. And responds about three hours later. We get on a phone immediately. And first things out of his mouth were, I absolutely love this book for 80 plus years. We've been inviting people into the unique worlds of our superheroes. And now you've just given people the manual on how to build their own. How can I help? And my great takeaway from Stan and the interactions that we had was he acted with so much enthusiasm about other people's stuff. Like that's one of the great, I think, special things about great people is they're enthusiastic about you and your things. And he always responded quickly. There was never neutral. It was always yes or no. There was no, there's never neutrals with people who operate at a high level. So anyways, um, I booked him to be my keynote speaker at my live event this year. And three days after we had signed the deal, he passed away. So yeah, he, I, uh, I can't, I cannot, uh, watch yeah. a, um, Marvel movie and not smile every time Stan. I just watched Captain Marvel yeah. at night and just seeing Stan. He, he was one of those impactful people and how he was able to tell his story and show up in the movies. And I loved it. So uh, good. So, so, to, so to that one, I am a, I have moved into a Marvel fan, uh, I'm, but I'm still a huge, you know, I well, love let's stay in Let's stay in yeah. Marvel. Marvel, yeah. favorite Marvel character. Favorite Marvel character uh, for me is the Incredible Hulk. I knew it. I just put it down. Yeah. Incredible Hulk. When you, you said something about getting up in the morning, right? And you like to sucker punch yourself, yeah. like basically, you know, just challenge yourself. What would a gut punch like, what would it feel like for you from the Incredible Hulk? What would that feel like for you if that was a visual tomorrow morning when you wake up and you're like, Tony asked, I want to visualize, what would that feel like for you? Somebody who is like, I got this, or someone like, truly got down and said, crap, I need a minute to get back up. Like, how do you respond when you get sucker punched? Um, I chunk myself up to a larger group that I'm trying to honor. 
I talk about this in the book, actually, in chapter three about we've got core drivers inside of us. So when we just make it about ourselves, that gives us, that does give us a, a degree of energy. But hey, it happens to me all the time, Tony, honestly. So I'll give you, this is reality, all right? So the reality of my experience of life was that that experience that happened to me when I was 12 years old was videotaped. That videotape is a very popular videotape in the pedophile community. I get trolled uh, weekly um, where I have, there are people who operate in the dark web. There's a pedophile community specifically that sends me GIFs of me at the age of 12 being abused. And, um, you know, I'm a tough guy. I've got, I, I, you know, the, the great, I think, journey of life is the mastery of self. But it, there's, there's times where it throws me off kilter because it comes out at such an inopportune time. Plus, the way that they send the, um, the imagery to me is they will send, uh, is look at, it, the email looks as if it's coming from a good friend of mine. So Jason Gaynard is a good friend. So it says from Jason Gaynard. Uh, it's not his real email address. It's just that's who it's the from is or Dan Martell or other friends. And then you open it up thinking that you're going to be, you know, and then it's just a GIF that's there. Right. So I do, I get sucker punched a lot, but you can't beat my family. You can't beat me, my family. So I, yeah. So Todd might be hurting, but I'm here as a protector to my little kids. And so that's, that's all I need to go to is that. Uh, no, I, I, I feel you, man. I, I don't know what, that would feel like, but I can hear it and see it and understand it. So just yeah. um, thanks for sharing that. And hopefully that helps also somebody else to realize today that they're not alone in their journey. Yeah. Um, what alter egos have you seen your kids create? Great question. So I have this video that I play um, at my, like when I do speeches, my oldest uh, daughter, Molly, who is six and a half, she was getting uh, bullied a little bit at her inner kindergarten class last year. Some boys telling her that she wasn't fast and cause they had an upcoming little school meet and uh, you know, she was, she wasn't so basically telling her she wasn't fast and she came home and I just saw her personality shifted over a couple of days. And we have this very specific kind of nighttime routine that we have with our kids. And, um, she was quiet, wanted to go to bed early. And so I said to her, I'm like, uh, I was talking to her and I said, Molly, who said something to you that made you feel bad? And she's like, how did you know? Uh, and I was like, oh, daddy's just no. Uh, and so she's like, well, these little boys, these other boys told me that I'm not fast and I'm not good enough and all this kind of stuff. And I said, okay. Um, and we built out an alter ego for her to take out onto that race course that she had. And it was, she's a big Paw Patrol fan, like any freaking little kid is nowadays. And her alter ego was Chase from uh, Paw Patrol. And I bought her a headband because I wanted to get her something that she could use to activate it. And she ended up FaceTiming me after it for my wife's phone. And I videotaped me FaceTiming with my, with my daughter. And she's like, daddy, I won. I beat them all. Or no, daddy, I, daddy chase one he beat them all it wasn't she didn't say i again third person kids yep. naturally do it so chase is one um and my my other daughter sophie plays around a lot with pretty much any character that she can latch onto. so we we really encourage it more than anything no i love it i know you guys got a new dog bosley how's that yep. going <laughs> well, you just saw me sort of me. I had to reach over cause he was just trying to chew on um, my computer cord. Yeah, he's been great. He's, it's been really fascinating to see the kid who liked dogs the least is the one who likes him the most right now. And the potty training is a challenge. We're only a week and a half into this thing, but uh, yeah, he's a pretty chill dog. He's a sweetheart. So 
I'm, I'm excited. My friend at 47 years old, never had a dog growing up. And so what did he and his wife decided to do is get a dog. They have two kids and they went out and got a St. Bernard. Oh, wow. Let, let's go get a dog, right? Like I'm talking, I went and got a, like a Yorkshire Terrier and we just got a poodle. I'm like, he goes, I'm going to get a St. Bernard. I went over last night. The dog is uh, five oh. months old and it's 72 pounds. And I picked it up and I was holding it on my lap. I'm like, just, so think about it as your dog grows. Like you picked a really good dog. Yeah. Um, last question. I've never done this before. So I decided I'm going to have some fun. Mm-hmm. Hollywood is making a movie about you and me. Yeah. And we're just too busy. So I want you to look at me. So this is a uh, visual uh, answer. Yeah. Who would you choose? Who would you select out of Hollywood to play me? And then I'm going to give a character to play you. Ooh, well, you're, you're, a, you're a taller guy. So I'm trying to think of like the taller actors that are out there. I, I think of you as like a blend between Hugh Jackman and Will Ferrell. You've got, you've got that kind of, yeah. Well, actually then it would be Vince, it'd be Vince Vaughn. Thank you. All right, yeah. good. We're, we're already like learning each other. So, okay. Yeah. So it's Vince Vaughn. Um, and, uh, and me, I would, I, I know who I would put today right now to cast in Hollywood as you. Who is it? I can't say his last name because I'll mess it up, but I just know him as Dr. Strange. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's really funny. Now here's why. Cause he's so freaking genius and talented, but it wasn't until he went to the movie that he learned his true inner self. Yeah. And he, it took somebody and I listened to you the entire time today about you mentioned Charles Duhigg and you're like, yeah, I'm not a practitioner. Like you gotta be somebody who's practiced and you, I'm watching you now learn how impactful your work is and the lives that you affected. So when I look from a physical standpoint, specimen, that's who it is. Personality wise, um, you kind of did the hybrid mix on me. So I threw you for a curve for a second. So I'm yeah. going to take Dr. Strange as like the dynamic character wearing the cape being somebody. Cause I think that's really like who it is. And then, uh, ben Stiller. I'm gonna give you a little bit of a Ben Stiller person. Oh wow! Well, Jerry Stiller, his his dad, and uh, we, we all used to work out at the same gym club here in New York City. Come on, um, are you all right? Was, Can I? Yeah. Would you live with those? Oh, Benedict Cumberbatch, hundred yeah. percent. I'll live with Benedict. Um, and uh, yeah, Jerry Stiller was in line at the cafeteria in this like private, you know, sports club that I worked out at, and he was paying. And I just I right behind him, I said, Jerry, I can't lay it by your lunch today. I've got to I got to pay this because. You, you've given me way too many laughs in throughout my, and he's like, and he was, he's like, no, he's like, and he's got that. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, that's, and I'm like, no, 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 Jerry, I'm, I'm paying for your, your lunch. He's like, no, you don't need to do that. And I was like, no, I'm paying for it. And, and, and the guy behind the till, he's like, no, Todd's paying for it kind of thing. Um, uh, and he was lovely. He sat down with me, had lunch with me and everything too. And um, yeah. So I love that. Hey, Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know we could go on for hours. It 100%. means a lot that you, you, you took your dog and let Bosley chew on some stuff while you and I had a chat. <laughs> you shared some amazing stories. Um, I feel better and I'm more just uh, connected to you today. So hopefully this was a good time for you. It was. Um, so Thank I just you. want to say thanks. Thanks. One final thing I want to share is I have got a children's book that's coming out right away. <gasps> that's well, right. The kids um, version, right? The kids, the kids version is coming out. And uh, that one's been a great little labor of love. And I always had the plan of it coming out, you know, the same year as, as the book. And uh, yeah, it's kind of geared towards three to eight year olds all talking about their, you know, it's called my super me. And it's, yeah, very much written in the vein of say, Dr. Zeus and Mr. Rogers. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for it to come out. 
Well, hey, we're going to let all of our audience know and listeners know when that comes out. So make sure we get that included in the show you notes. Bet. That is Todd Herman. I am Tony Grubmeyer. Until next time, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, choose to make today the absolute best day of your life. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the architect of your journey in this game we call life? Take the next step now at www.tonygrubmeyer.com. Enter your details to get the first week of the Be Fulfilled Journal for free. It includes access to our private community of thousands of other entrepreneurs. It'll give you more clarity and freedom in your day. And it might just change your life forever. Forever.